As you stand in body or spirit, let's come before God's word, quite likely as Jesus and the disciples would have, by reciting what he would call the great commandment, what they would call in Hebrew, Shema. So if you'll follow after me in Hebrew, we'll join together in English. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Had. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, This morning's Advent uh, text is also the text for uh, the confirmation, which will take place at 9.30 and 11 this morning. And the setting is this. It's Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Paul goes to Thessalonica in Acts 17, and his visit there is short-lived. He's, he's run out of town. He has to sneak out of town at night. And so he's wondering how these young converts are doing. And then Timothy brings him news that they are doing well. And this is his response in chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Well, I've been waiting for five weeks to uh, come back and, uh, and be with you. And what I've been doing while I was waiting was waiting. And in fact, it's not as if nothing was happening, but uh, one day we got a message from our son in Austin uh, uh, his wife, who's uh, pregnant, uh, nine months pregnant, is on her way to the hospital. And then a while later, we got an update about how things in labor were progressing and got another update and then silence for hours. And we waited. And then finally, the good news, a healthy baby boy. I share that with you and with the confirmands, not only because I'm bragging as a grandparent, of course, but because life really boils down to waiting. Imagine how much of the confirmands' life is spent, uh, will be spent in waiting, uh, waiting for the confirmation service to be over with, uh, waiting for the Christmas holidays at school, waiting to see what high school next year is really like, waiting to see if they made the team or the squad, uh, waiting to see if they got into the school that they were hoping to get into, waiting to see if the job offer will come through, waiting to see if they have found someone with whom they can spend their life, waiting to see if that person thinks they're the right ones with whom to spend their life. And then there'll be other days waiting for a test waiting for a diagnosis or a prognosis, and then one day waiting for your own children to go through the same things you waited for. Life is waiting. And I want to tell you that in many ways, the patron saint of waiting is Paul. In our scripture this morning, Paul's writing to a church. And Paul, uh, one of the first churches he starts is in Thessalonica. 
But he doesn't get to stay there very long, only three weeks, apparently. And people uh, convert to Christ during those three weeks, but before he can nurture them, he has to leave. And so he's been wondering, how are they doing? In the face of persecution, did they quit? In the face of disappointment, did they give up? Where are they? And there's no email, and there's no text, and there's no postal service for Paul. But one day, a live messenger, Timothy, brings him the news And Paul erupts in what we read this morning in thanksgiving. You're still there. You're still hoping to grow in your faith. You are still on this journey with me. I remember three months ago waiting, waiting uh, on the very first Sunday afternoon. We had changed confirmation after 20 years doing it one way. We switched to another way. And that first Sunday afternoon, I was waiting to see if anybody was going to walk through the door when we moved it from Sunday morning to Sunday afternoon, uh, when we lengthened the time of class, and I'm thankful because the confirmands showed up. And I'm thankful because they participated. And I'm thankful because they persevered all the way through this morning to the end. I'm thankful. But what I want to share with you this morning, um, as people on the journey of faith who will spend a lot of your life waiting, is simply this. If I were to give you two hints about how to live a life of waiting, I would take these two things that Paul does in our scripture this morning and pass them on to you. The first thing Paul does is he waits with gratitude. An attitude of of gratitude, as they say, or being grateful is simply to me the best way to go through life. It makes uh, all the difference in the world, not just emotionally, but may actually make a difference physically as well. They did a study. Uh, which is amazing because it covered more than uh, seven. Uh, it covered more than six decades. What they did is there were 700 people who became nuns in 1930 in the Sisters of Notre Dame, and to become a nun, they had to fill out a spiritual autobiography and they had to talk about their lives. And so, in this test, they got access 60 years later to these nuns' medical records with permission. And this is what they found in the nuns who at that age, at that time, ranged from age 75 to 102. They found that there was a direct correlation between uh, their gratefulness that they displayed in 1930 about life and about their experiences that they've had so far in life and their health six decades later. It makes a difference. There's a story told about a a religious man who's trying to understand the command to give thanks in all circumstances. And he comes to his mentor and says, even in bad times, and the mentor says, yes. And the mentor says, well, why don't you go see so-and-so? He can help you. So-and-so, another man, had been through all sorts of difficulties in his life. And so he went to the man and he said, I'm struggling with this verse in the Bible about giving thanks and all things, especially when bad things happen. And so I was sent to you because you uh, would be the person to help me. And the man said, what? He said, I've lived 80 years. I haven't had any bad experiences. But you know what happened, of course, because of his attitude of gratefulness and thankfulness he was able to see even the good in the midst of the bad. The first thing I would encourage you is that you double down, as as I read an author say recently, double down on gratitude. When you get a choice between being grateful and ungrateful, choose grateful. Here's two quick hints that have helped me in gratitude. Number one, as I've learned that to be grateful, you need to count what you have, not what you don't have. If we focus on what we don't have, 
Uh, that leads us away from gratitude. When we're grateful for what we do have, I think that moves us toward recognizing um, where we are in life and, and the good things that have happened. The second thing is simply this. Know that in any situation, uh, it could be worse. As bad as you think it is for you at this moment, it could be worse. Now, I am not grateful for people who have it worse. I'm just saying that typically there are people that do. You may uh, remember uh, Snoopy and Charlie Brown. Years ago on a Thanksgiving cartoon, Snoopy's looking inside the house and they're having this Thanksgiving feast. And he's very sad about it. And he climbs back up in his doghouse. Then there's a bubble and he thinks to himself, well, it could be worse. I could be the turkey. And, and, and healthy people and amazing people to me uh, go into uh, places like clinics and hospitals uh, because their illness. And they said, wow, I looked around and folks had it so much worse than I did. Or, or they went to a support group and found out that others' pain was, was greater than theirs. And I don't know that it really was, but they had that sense that what had happened was not the worst it could be. So my first encouragement in waiting is you'll be happier waiting if you're grateful. And the other thing that Paul does besides being grateful and thankful, Paul is hopeful. Paul says basically two things. I hope we can get back together. And I hope that you'll keep growing in love. Now, when I say hope, I know that sometimes hope gets defined differently. Some people say hope and they mean basically it'll never happen, never in a million years. So it'd be like me saying, I hope one of my two grandsons plays in the NBA. Probably not. So some people use it like that, and that's hope to them. It'll, it could never happen, will never happen, could never happen. Other people use hope like it's pretty much a cinch uh, that it'll happen, and I can make it happen. So I might say to you, I hope that I'll watch the Duke game Wednesday night. Unless the power goes out, I will. But actually, hope in the Bible is something that requires God. Something you can't do on your own effort, but something because of God is not quite impossible. And so Paul is hopeful that God is going to intervene in his life and in the life of these confirmands in Thessalonica and that good things will come from it. And specifically, what he wants for them are two things. One, he hopes they'll have community. That they'll love each other, he says, and that, and that they will get back, be able to get back together with Paul. Um, I hope that you know that on this journey of faith that uh, it is not meant to be taken alone. The journey of faith is too important and too difficult to set out alone. It would be like me deciding I'm going to climb Mount Everest by myself tomorrow with no training and no support and no one with me. It's not going to happen. The other thing he hopes for them is that they'll grow in love because Paul knows that the measure of faith is not how many times you'll attend worship in the rest of your life. It's not how many times you'll be in a Bible study or even how much money you put in the offering plate. That what it boils down to is what he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13, that I can do all these great stuff, but without love, it doesn't matter. He hopes that they will be more loving. And my hope for our confirmation class, my hope for you, actually is that we will be more loving than the Christians, as wonderful as they were who preceded us. That we will turn the direction back from narrowing the circle about who we think is lovable and widen the circle and love people in spite of differences. I'm praying, and that sort of love is going to take great hope and great work by the Holy Spirit. But I'm hoping that you'll become more loving than I am, and that the future will be bright because it reflects how loving you are. Now, I would say to this to you, 
that you finished confirmation, but as the great Winston Churchill said when Britain finally won a battle in 1942 in World War II, he said, this is not the end. He said, it's not even the beginning of the end, but he told his people, this is the end of the beginning. And at confirmation, you find yourself at the end of the beginning. There's a rock and roll marathon this morning. You're probably aware of that. And so people will, will show up, they'll register, they'll get their number, they'll be at the starting line, but the race isn't over. They still have to run it. In confirmation this morning, you get your number. You get your souvenir shirt. You, you get to the starting line. But it's a long race. And you take the first steps today. And I want you to know that I'll be watching and waiting along with your parents and church to see how it goes. To see how you grow in love. To see how grateful you become as persons. Because I don't worry about the end. Paul says at the end of his letter, he knows how it all ends. It all ends with Jesus. Now, one of the questions you asked me at confirmation last Sunday was, what happens when we die? And you might remember the answer we tried to let you know is that you will never experience yourself apart from God's love. It says, my friend who had knee surgery once was being told by the anesthesiologist, count to 10. So he went, one, two, Three, opens his eyes and looks up at the, at the anesthesiologist like this isn't working and the anesthesiologist uh, is there and the nurse leans over and says you came through it was great he never knew himself to be in the surgery you will never know yourself apart from the love of God and Christ and you will experience it even greater I know that's how it ends a famous Christian died some years ago, and when they wrote a tribute to them, a person who wrote the tribute said, I'm so glad that he died and he's in heaven because I know he's going to keep his foot in the door for us. He's going to be holding it open. And as confirmands, I hope they will look around this morning and see a group of people who, like those lining the rock and roll marathon this morning, are cheering and praying and hoping but that the very, they'll be the very same ones who will hold the gate of heaven open for you. But until then, I'll be watching and waiting to see where your journey of gratitude and love will take you.